For the week of May 31st, 2017, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Stephen Cox. Hello. On the show this week, we talk with Amy Nosek. She is the founder and leader of Indivisible Georgia's 6th District. And we talk all about the work that they have been doing around the John Ossoff special election that's happening there. And then, as per usual, we will have our dose of good news, followed by our weekly call to action. My guest, Amy Nosek, is the founder of the group Indivisible Georgia's 6th District, and I called her up because I thought it might be interesting for those of us here in Washington to hear what they've been up to down there with their special election. Uh, the short answer is, as it turns out, a lot. Uh, we get into that in detail in our discussion, but we started by talking about how Amy came to start her group, and it turns out she has a lot in common with the leader of my local group, Chris Petzold, in that it all started with Rachel Maddow. Sometime in December, I guess it was, when they released the guide, I just happened to be listening to Rachel's show, and she mentioned it, and my husband and I listened to it, and so we kind of flipped through it and thought, well, you know, this is really cool, and uh, there are tangible things we can do to make a difference, instead of just having Facebook <laughs> activism happening, right. and then I just kind of forgot about it, and then sometime after the inauguration, I heard her talk about it again. It was actually on January 24th, and right then and there, I went on Facebook. I kind of searched around to see if there were any groups, and there wasn't for the 6th District, and I was really surprised, so I just started one right then and there, and I it's funny. I looked at what my first post was when I started the group and it was basically, hey, I just started this group on a whim because there wasn't an indivisible group in our area and uh, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And that was it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so flash forward to now where you're sort of in the white hot glare of the spotlight in in Georgia's six, the district that everybody's talking about. Um, And, you know, we're all sort of outsiders to this, wondering what it's like there, but you live there. So tell us a little bit about it. It's uh, primarily comprised of the suburbs of Atlanta, right? That's right. And when you hear about it on the the news, they say the affluent suburbs of uh, Atlanta. And, um, you know, it's not really like that there are some areas that are there's areas that aren't um it's very interesting our district is gigantic it's comprised of parts of three different counties i've lived here for 13 years and i never felt like my vote mattered and this year has been very exciting like it's crazy we went from just being a historically red area to people just kind of coming out of the closet and not being afraid to be liberal and making their voices heard. And it's, I've never been a, had a problem <laughs> making my voice heard about being liberal. But, um, you know, most of the people that grew up here or have lived here a long time, they've kind of hidden. They haven't talked to their neighbors about the fact that they're Democrat or liberal or whatever. And now people feel like I can't not say anything anymore. This this is too much. I have to do something about it. When we spoke uh, earlier, you had mentioned that uh, the membership in the indivisible groups in the Georgia 6 are overwhelmingly women, and in particular, their moms. And you have a theory about why that is. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, actually, even before the uh, election, There was a little group here in my county that started out 
as uh, the liberal a liberal moms group. Mm. And for the first time, with some of these women for the first time ever, they felt like they weren't alone. And, you know, we kind of started organizing around the election and having rallies and getting really excited about it. And then, of course, on November 9th, that just flip-flopped and <laughs> turned, yeah. turned all upside down. And, um, you know, we, we had some moms that had never voted, had never um, been involved in politics at all that just said, that's it, I'm, I'm doing something. Um, you know, my group, though, is not, I, I, I pride myself in the fact that we just accept pretty much everyone. Um, we do have moderate Republicans in the group, independents. But yeah, the, I think it's kind of happening all over the country as far as women, right? I mean, they've just, they're looking at what's happening with Trump and saying, I, I can't let the future for my children turn into... <laughs> what it looks like it's turning into. Well, and in light of that, given the level of pushback that you're seeing, how do you see the district changing? Um, because as we know, this is the same district that gave us Newt Gingrich, and yet it seems like it may be turning blue. Um, what's the mood there like, I guess, among progressives in the run-up to the general election? Are people hopeful? Oh, we're so excited and hopeful, and we really feel like we're going to pull this off. I mean, we, we felt like we were, had a good chance at pulling it off uh, during the primary, uh, but John didn't quite get that 50% plus one vote that he needed to win it outright. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he was polling at, I think, about 43% at that time, and then on the night of the primary, he ended up with over 48%, so he got really close to that that 50% that he needed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you look at Karen Handel and John Ossoff together, the difference, we've never had anyone like him, I don't think, in this district. And I mean, at least in probably 30, 40 years. What specifically is it about him that is connecting with progressives? Um, he makes himself so accessible. If I ever meet somebody that hasn't met him yet, like, really, just follow his events. Check his Facebook page if you want to meet him. You can meet him and get a selfie taken with him. You'll get a hug. It is so easy. <laughs> so you've met with him personally as well. Oh, a lot. I have multiple pictures with him. Um, my kids have met him. I have my kids have posed with their Star Wars lightsabers with him because I don't know if you heard about that whole. Um... Well, what I have, but go ahead and, and t- tell the listening <laughs> audience anyway. Well, the Republicans came out with a, um, you know, an attack ad, and it was about, you know, when John was in college, he was like an acapella singer, and he did some little um, skits with his friends about Star Wars, and they showed this on the commercials, and it pretty much made him a rock star overnight, because you, know, you don't take progressives in their 20s to 40s and 50s and try to make Star Wars a bad thing. Like, (laughs) it ended up turning into the best thing that could have happened to us because, you know, we all love Star Wars. Absolutely, yeah. So it ended up being awesome where all the kids and parents, people would dress up and go take pictures with their Chewbacca masks and 
I think the first thing I did was come home and, and pose my kids with all of our Star Wars figures, including some of my husband's that were from like the 70s and 80s, pose them up by the, the Ossoff sign and take a picture with my kid in his uh, Jedi costume. So let's talk about your work specifically with the Ossoff campaign and Indivisible. How has the Indivisible uh, your chapter in particular worked with uh, John Ossoff and his people? Kind of in the beginning, we were focusing a lot on uh, get out the vote efforts. Uh, we started doing some precinct organizing, which is, um, I know that happens all over the country, but it has not been something that has happened in the South. And the funny thing is, now the Ossoff campaign is doing that. So I think they... Um, oh, they're they following were, your lead then. Yeah, and it's funny. The, another thing that we were doing is um, we started writing postcards to people in in the district. Just, you know, so it was a personal thing, like a plea, like we need you to get out and vote. And the person that started that wasn't really even trying to do it locally. I think he was gathering up some groups from all over the country to have these postcard parties. And once we heard about it, my co-founder Louise and I thought, you know, this is amazing. We need to have some postcard parties and, and do this. And it kind of just skyrocketed. Everyone in the in our group loved it. And next thing you know, there's postcard parties like every other day. And I posted something on Twitter from one of our parties with just like a stack. You know, we had like 20, 30 people come to somebody's, you know, neighborhood clubhouse and we all wrote postcards. And I just had like a stack of hundreds of them. It's posted on Twitter and I have never had so many likes and retweets. Wow. The postcard thing was such a big hit that the um, the Ossoff campaign started doing postcards also. <laughs> wow, they're taking your lead on everything. Yeah, and it's funny. And if you ever, li- if you listen to John speak, you can't hear him speak once without him messaging, following the lead of grassroots groups and the women in the community that are really leading this. So it sounds like he's really aware of your presence and your work. So uh, what else have you been doing? Yeah, we've been um, we've been canvassing. We've been having uh, rallies where, you know, at least when it gets closer to the election, we'll have some rallies where we kind of all go out on uh, some busy intersections in the area with Ossoff signs. And um, and those are pretty interesting. We get lots of honks and lots of um, cheers. But. Uh, we also get some middle fingers and some expletives thrown at us. Even my children, they love rallying, and even my kids will get the middle finger. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, and sometimes we follow what the what the um, the campaign needs. You know, if, if they're having a fundraiser or a meet and greet or anything where you can, you know, they want to get the word out about John, our groups are just, we're helping get out the word about it with social media. So I even have some people from the campaign that will text me or give me a call and say, hey, we've got some news outlets that are going to be at the campaign office today at noon. Can you get on your group and rally up a bunch of people to be there so we can have a big showing? So um, there's, they all said, if he doesn't take it outright, he will not win the runoff. And yet here we are getting ever closer to election day and he is edging ahead in a lot of major polls. So the election is on June 20th. What are your plans for your group between now and then? I think it's all about canvassing. Um, We've also still, they've got the postcard thing going on and um, they're also doing letters. This is interesting. They didn't do this before. 
So after looking at the numbers from the primary, they realized they had a pretty good percentage of people that promised they would vote for John, whether it was by, the, by phone banking or canvassing, and then they didn't show up at the polls. And I think even if a small percentage of those people had actually shown up, we would have won it outright. Yeah. So they're writing letters this time around specifically to those people who said they would vote and didn't make it. And those letters are also including uh, absentee ballots to vote by mail. What is the tone of those letters? I'm very curious to know precisely how it is that you are uh, baiting the hook with that. Is it is it are you giving people kind of a guilt trip or are you saying, you know, there's a lot on the line or what's the tactic there? Yeah, yeah, that's that's, you know, a tough line to draw. You know, if we're on the group and joking about it, you know, we get a little bit more rough like, hey, what you just ruined it for everyone. <laughs> but, um, you know, the letters, it's it's tough. We try to make it personal and positive because we don't want it to be shaming and we don't want people to feel bad, you know. But, you know, it's summertime, so I think it's it's going to be even harder. We have people, families going on vacation, and um, that's the great thing. Like, hey, you couldn't make it to the polls, you know, on April 18th, but look, there's this way that you can vote by mail, and it's super easy. You don't have to leave your house. So I think that's awesome that the letters are going out, and they're very personal, you know, individuals like me are writing them in our own words and say, you know, if you can't make it to early voting, if you can't make it to the polls, you can absentee vote. And you can also, once you do that, you can also make the calls and the canvassing knocks on your doorstep. <laughs> That's it. You've conscripted them. Uh, so th- this is just a ton, a ton, a ton of work that you are describing. And uh, I know that at one point you reached out to the National Indivisible Headquarters for help. Um, how did that go? Yeah, I got, I, at one point I was so overwhelmed with what was going on with my group that I reached out to them in desperation saying, hey, is there anything you can do to help us? Because it's getting crazy down here. <laughs> and uh, I didn't hear anything for a little while. And eventually I did. And um, next thing you know, we were having conference calls with the leaders of Indivisible and Ezra Levin and, and everyone involved. And uh is pretty interesting that they, um, after hearing all the things that we were doing, they were really excited and they, they said they hoped that we win, of course, but they hoped to, uh, kind of see what we're doing and follow our lead and maybe, uh, help groups around the country, you know, use us to show these groups around the country what you can do. Well, so you reached out to them for help and then they ultimately wound up going to you for help, which is kind of ironic. Yeah. Yeah. And now we actually have um, a team from Indivisible that works just with District 6 and uh, all of our District 6 Indivisible groups we get together and have conference calls and talk about what we're doing. And in a way, it's for them to teach us and have some uh, one-on-one time about things we can do in the district. Like we had a um, we had a bird dogging thing with them. Like they had an expert in bird dogging come on the call with us to teach us about that. Tell us what bird dogging is. Okay, so <laughs> I'm not an expert in it, but I mean, basically it's a way when you go to uh, a debate or a town hall, it's a way to ask questions, to make your uh, local politician answer what you want them to answer and make sure and get it on tape and to, um, you know, hold them accountable. 
So I'd like to talk about the role that the Democratic Party has been playing in all of this, in particular the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, and also the local state Democrats. Have you been interacting with them? Have they been helpful? Well, that's interesting. So, you know, leading up to the primary, we we wondered if they would come around, and they were. And, and we heard from some local um, Democratic leaders in our counties that um, the state Democratic Party was not planning on getting involved because they did not think there was a chance for John to win. Well, not even John to win, for any Democrat to win. During really? The- wow. Yeah. So um, in the beginning, we were we just could not believe that you know it seemed like the whole country was excited about this and how could our local democratic state party not care and not want to help so one night watching rachel maddow again um she called out the dccc i believe like outright like hey you know there's this district six race going on how come you guys aren't down there the next day they had a campaign go around. They had emails go out asking for donations. People donated. I think I even donated because I was so excited. Hey, they're finally paying attention. And nothing really came out of it. We kind of felt like, hey, they used that as a fundraising <laughs> opportunity. Um, they they did actually come out with some flyers that came out into the mail. And once we saw those mailers, we got kind of mad about them. There was one in particular that was like shaming. It was like, hey, you've been, you haven't been a good voter in the past. I forget exactly what it said, but it was just like your voting record is poor or is so-so. And, and once we started seeing those, we were like, this is what they spent their money on, making people feel bad? Like, <laughs> that's not going to help. So we we have not been that excited with how they're helping us here. Um, and now that now that we're in the runoff, I think we're getting more help. I know the DCCC is still um, they had an ad out and kind of like an anti Karen Handel ad, um, something about like the fabulous life of Karen Handel. I think it was just last week that the uh, Democratic Party mentioned that they were going to come hire 10 to 15 staffers to help with minority outreach here. I I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I just don't know if they're really going to pull through. I hope they do, but so you can see I'm a little cynical about it. <laughs> I'm curious to know what happens for you and for your group after the election. I mean, obviously, it's going to go one of two ways. Uh, certainly, we hope that uh, that Ossoff wins. But if he doesn't, the group will continue on. I'm wondering uh, how you see both scenarios playing out for your, your indivisible chapter. Okay, so yeah, this is something that we are um, pretty passionate about. You know, we hear people talk about comparing Indivisible with the Tea Party and, you know, is it really going to be a success? And we are we are passionate about making this last. You know, this is a movement, not a moment. You know, if John wins, it's going to be incredible. I mean, it's I can't I can't even describe what that's going to be like. And I think the whole country is going to be celebrating with us. But um yeah, I mean, even at our first meeting, way back in February, we talked about our next steps and, you know, after this this whole special election, and um, we want to start fighting things like gerrymandering, and um, we have a plan. I think it's not about this election. Yeah, I mean, from everything that you've said, it seems like it's about something bigger than that. 
Well, you know, from the very beginning, we, um, it was kind of like we found each other. Um, we truly are building a, a community and um, it feels, it feels good. It's like, you know, like we didn't know we had liberals living a couple houses down from us and now we're finding each other. And I think it's really amazing. You know, I, I feel like my closest friends were in another state, you know, you know, I moved here and I didn't know that many people. And um, now I feel like I just have this community of just hundreds of people, thousands of people. And if I want to go out one night, I can just say, hey, somebody meet me out. And next thing you know, there's 50 of us hanging out at the little restaurant. <laughs> it's pretty neat. Well, Amy Nozick, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling us about everything that's going on down there. And especially thank you for your work. Well, thanks for having me. It's um, It's been a wild ride. Like I said in the beginning, I didn't know what I was doing, and I kind of still don't. <laughs> and we will wrap up today with this week's Call to Action. But first, our weekly dose of good news. Let us start back east, where in special elections, Democrat Edie DeMarais won her bid for the New Hampshire State Senate, becoming the first Democrat ever to win that seat. Also in New York, Christine Pellegrino beat her Republican challenger and won a traditionally very red seat for the state assembly. Excellent. Also in New York, Democrat Brian Benjamin won a seat in the New York State Senate special election, and he pledged not to join a caucus of Democrats who have been voting with Republicans. Also, after more than a week of peddling a ridiculous and widely debunked conspiracy theory about a murdered DNC staffer, Fox News made Sean Hannity retract it. And it was chiefly because advertisers were pulling out and they're continuing to do so. Uh, it worked on Bill O'Reilly. Hey. Oh, and they fired one of their anchors for making a racist comment. So two down the well, the whole network to go. But uh, it's not looking good for old Fox these days. Their prime time ratings have been in the tank, uh, causing them to come in third place for the first time in 17 years. Wow. America, are you waking up? <laughs> Be nice to see you again. And now for this week's call to action. So you have likely heard that after his orb-bondling, G20-leader-shoving, NATO-insulting disaster of an overseas trip, Trump has returned home and is now stating that he intends to pull out of the Paris Climate Accords. You know, that thing signed by 195 UN member countries that, even by the standards of most climate scientists, doesn't even go nearly far enough to curb greenhouse gas emissions in an effort to stave off man-made global warming. But hey, it's a step in the right direction. Well, Trump is pulling the U.S. out because, I don't know, business, oil, he hasn't fulfilled his weekly quota of doing things a supervillain would do. I don't know. Anyway, maybe let's give our senators and your member of Congress a shout and tell them that you expect them to condemn Trump's move to pull the United States out of the Paris Accords and to do whatever they can to push back against rollbacks of vital safeguards like, say, the EPA. That agency that was started by that paragon of liberalism, Richard Nixon. It's true, believe it or not. Anyway, let's give our MOCs a shout on behalf of the climate. And that is this week's call to action. 
And that is also it for this week's Washington State Indivisible podcast. As always, keep the thoughts and feedback coming. I love it. Uh, email me at WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. Again, that is WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. Also, do check out our Facebook page. Uh, you can check it by entering Washington State Indivisible Podcast into the search engine. I'm going to be giving alerts and heads up on some great interviews that we have coming down the pike. And we really do have some good ones coming up. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. Thank you again to my guest, Amy Nosek. And thank you, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.